This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so I'm just going to thank them for their constant friendship and support. Enjoy the show. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend Luis Cortez, and he talks to me about his love of Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, as a Southeasterner, I always associated Universal Studios with the Orlando uh, theme park or uh, amusement park, I guess that one may qualify as. Uh, as Luis d- explains to me early on in this episode, there is a clear difference. Many people do not fathom when they step through the gates at Universal Studios Hollywood. It is a theme park. There are very few, like, major rides because it's mostly a studio lot. They shoot a bunch of things inside and out, and uh, Luis is much better at telling you all about it because he was a tour guide there for years and years, nigh on eight years, if I recall correctly, and uh, we get a great breakdown in this of start to finish on that, um, how he came to work there, uh, what his experience with the park was like as a kid before he was uh, an employee or even thought about being an employee, and how it wrapped up, which is a hilarious story, and uh, all of the cool things that happened in between and the 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 inside baseball type things that he got to experience uh, where filming is concerned and meeting people who are toured a lot and such. There's a wonderful Simpsons story in here that any fans of that show will appreciate massively. Uh, it was also just really cool to hear him speak to how doing that long and that specific a tour and having to kind of change it up for your own purposes and for uh, the sake of the tour itself because all the things that they were filming would change uh, as from day to day when he was giving the tours. Uh, That insight was so interesting to me and it makes so much sense that he would be such a successful improviser and performer now uh, from day in and day out of having to really stay on his toes Uh, for entertaining those tours and uh, knowing his stuff. It was a very cool conversation and uh, an insight into something that I knew so little about and uh, getting to talk to someone about it who was there for years was very cool and such a great aspect of this show. If you uh, listened to last week's ep because it was a uh, had a bit of a higher um, platform that it was released on than I normally would, and you are back again from that, thank you so much for listening to another episode. I think you'll find that you appreciate a lot of them if you dig back through the ages. Uh, another show in the Chicago Podcast Co-op of which this show is a part of that I might recommend to you if you enjoy this episode of this podcast in particular is called Alcoholywood. The hosts make a drink that is in the spirit of the film that they watch and discuss as a part of each episode. And I think that's a great setup for a podcast. Check it out. If you would like to check out a live performance of something or other, might I recommend The Fishbowl at The Annoyance at 9.30 on Thursday nights. 
It is a great improv show in Chicago, Illinois. If you'd like to see Luis on stage, I know you can catch him at many shows at the Comedy Sports Theater here in Chicago as he put in a lot of time at the Comedy Sports in Los Angeles before relocating here. But I also know that he's in an upcoming musical called 24 Words that has a plethora of dates in March that you can look up on your own. That's how this works. You're not going to, like, write down the dates that I say right now and, like, show up at a place at that time without looking it up on your own, right? If you are, then our lives are very different. But, you know... You're still listening, so that's all that matters, I suppose. Enjoy the show. I finally just told my girlfriend this morning, I was like, listen, I want to bring in money because we like we live together and we just started that whole process of like combining things and we just got a joint bank account. Wow. Yeah, and the cool part was we both closed our big bank accounts nice. and we went like to a, a credit, credit union. union. Nice. It was a pain in the ass, oh, God. but so worth it. Because now every time I drive by a Bank of America, I'm mm-hmm. like, that's so great that I don't... I like. Yeah, and when they asked us, yeah, yeah, they were like, why Why are you closing your account? Like, you've been with us since 1998. Why are yeah. you closing your account? And I was like, you guys are involved in a pipeline, and I, I just don't. I can't. I'm sorry. I have a Wells Fargo and a Chase, so I'm like doubly, uh, you know, so, in, entwined, and I'm, and I'm definitely going to close my Wells Fargo account, and I just can't... I don't know whether I I really want to like start an IRA or something with it, because, but I don't know how money works. I'm just trying to like, uh, as it is, it's like already kind of a savings account that I don't touch, and sometimes I pay bills out of. Well, I used to have this financial advisor out in LA. I, if you really want, I don't know how she works it anymore, but back then she was like, I don't charge. Mm. Uh, I just ask that you tell all like your friends about them? it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll get you to. Yeah, pass if you ever want to do that, because she set up uh, a Roth IRA for me forever ago, and I think finally I'm in a place where I can start feeding into it again. Yeah, I that's have to the turn thing it is, off for a while. I and I'm close to like uh, paying off the rest of my student loans. Oh, good for you. So I'm like actually going like, okay, that chapter is about closing. To closing. Yeah. So what am I gonna do? Yep. Uh, well, I'll I mean, have a little, I, slightly more disposable income. When I opened mine, she was like, "You're starting early," because I opened mine in my mid twenties, maybe. Yeah. I don't remember, but she was like, "If you do." 50 bucks a month, It'll by still... the time you retire, you'll have like $2 million. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I was like, I, know. I want that now. That's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so it's just this weird like, going back to what I was saying before, this weird time where I'm like, I could drive, but I also have this money coming in. I guess I could just use this time to be creative and like I have the free time so I might as well just use it. Yeah. But because we're doing all this merger of things I'm kind of feeling this pressure to like actually put the bill into it. To provide. Uh, (laughs) That makes a lot of sense all around. But she's just like we're fine. She's like I just got all this back and we're about to get our you know our refunds back. Like we're okay. Like if you want to do this then do this. And it's weird to have that support. Yeah. Because um like I, I wanted to pay off my credit card and technically I had the money uh-huh. but 
it it wouldn't have necessarily cleaned me out, but it would have been close. Yeah. And so I got a little money together, and then she was like, well, combined, we'll we have it. We'll yeah. be fine. So why don't you just go ahead and do that? That's so great. Yeah. So I recently did that, and it I like looking at the zeros on the oh. screen was just this feeling of like, oh, this is what couples do. <laughs> Yeah. I've never had a relationship go this well and this far into the hole. So it's just like, what's happening? Yeah, I definitely, I'm also in like easily the, you know, most serious relationship that I've been in. And it's so funny when things like that come up. For me, it's more often just this like day to day, you know, like I just, you know, more than once having like a very you know terrible day and then like only being at home for like an hour and then having to like roll back out into something else and uh my boyfriend have like knowing that I had a terrible day knowing I was gonna have this like quick turnaround and like having a dinner ready Ready when I get home and I'm just like this is such yeah, a game changer. This is so, like, this is amazing. Yeah, because like before, it would just be like I either probably wouldn't eat anything, or I would like something get a slice shitty. of pizza before mm-hmm. a show or something like that. And it's just like I can just sit down with him, and you know, we can you know unwind a little before I head back out. And like, it's not. It's obviously not like just a a give and a take. A, tried to do things in return yeah of course of course <laughs> but yeah it's exactly what you're saying it's like oh oh relationships yeah. have oh. these amazing perks <laughs> it it's cool to like i don't want to say you're always sold this idea of marriage mm-hmm. and then <laughs> when you actually see what it is yeah because like oh you're so in love and you want to do this and you want to do that and it's amazing and then to actually see it in a practical like it's just two adults yeah who enjoy being around each other all mm-hmm. the damn time and decide <laughs> yeah. let's just combine our shit <laughs> yeah and then and that approach to it i'm like this i like that is so true and and it it feels how amazing does it feel to like know that you're in that spot it feels great <laughs> right? it feels like, amazing it's just like oh i care enough about this person and vice versa that we'll do like selfless things for one another that you know it, it just like every once in a while it's just nice to have that person uh who's got your back it's pretty awesome i it it consistently blows my mind <laughs> i know what you mean man i know what you mean uh and i'm so happy to hear that that's the spot that you're yeah in. it's pretty great uh my guest today is luis cortez and uh he's going to be talking to me about his time as a universal studio lot tour guide yeah hell yeah I think that's such a fun topic. Uh, I've never been on the studio tour, so I feel like I'm going to like go on it in spirit right Have now. Have you ever been to the park? Uh, I've been to the one in Orlando. Orlando, okay. Yeah. The difference between those two parks is Orlando is just the park, a theme park, mm-hmm. whereas Universal is a theme park slash movie studio. Right. So that's their big uh, their big. Uh, push Claim to with fame. this, yeah, yeah, is the the tour because you actually get to go into a movie studio. Sure, but um, I actually started out 
in the guest relations department. No way. So I used to take the complaints. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I used to take the complaints both uh uh in the on the front desk and on the phone. And multiple times I was the only person there who spoke Spanish. Oh. So they would like pull me out of one thing to go do another and Yeah. And all I could think was, what do you do when I'm not here? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. who talks to these people? Uh-huh. But the one thing that I, the one thing that stuck with me from my time in guest relations was, they are big on the difference between a theme park and an amusement park. Whoa! An amusement park is Disneyland. They, okay. Because their their rides are just like meant to be fun and kitschy and you know mm-hmm. literally meant to amuse you sure whereas a theme park it is a park with a theme and the theme of our park is the movie the studio so when people would come in to complain you know disneyland has like 96 rides with their two parks combined out in la uh, california adventure and uh, regular disneyland we have four whoa it's four rides and then the rest are like 3d shows yeah or or like uh demonstrations of things wow. and then the, the tour so of the four are they like ro- do they have roller coasters they have one indoor roller coaster because keep in mind they're making multi-million dollar movies on the lot. So they can't. So you can't be doing this like, all right, guys, we got one shot. (laughs) It's a $5 million shot action. (laughs) Like you can't have that. Yeah. So the Islands of Adventure or the one, is that what the one in Orlando is? Yeah. They have have a ton of coasters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Between their two parks, they have a bunch of coasters, but they don't do filming out there. Sure. Right, right, right. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, so, I guess that's why I never even associated uh, a like theme park proper with the like Universal Studios lot. I always thought of it as what you're describing, like the. So it's really funny. I guess it's kind of like a mis misconception that yeah. people would come and yeah, because people are always like, "So don't you have any roller coasters or anything like that?" And we're like, "No, because because we we film." So we have an indoor roller coaster, mm-hmm. but that's as much as we can have because of the fact that we're we're filming. That's like, so we, funny. We can't have like big, loud rides. So at a base level in guest relations, you're basically just telling people, "I'm sorry, we don't have more rides." Yeah, <laughs> and people would just come in with the stupidest complaints. My favorite that I will never forget was a lady who had just seen. The Waterworld show, um, which I love. It's a stunt show. It takes place after the movie. So I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen the movie. I haven't. But it literally picks up like when the movie That's ends. so funny. Uh, it's a great show. Uh, but the lady comes in and goes, I sat in the splash zone. No. They told me I was going to get wet. They did not tell me. I was going to get soaked. And all I could think in that moment was, "It is this your first time around water? Like, what yeah. do you think water does? But they ended up having, and she's like, I have a dinner to go to after this, and I cannot go like this. And she demanded that they buy her new clothes. 
And all we have there are like sweatpants and sweatshirts. Right. So they bought her a universal sweatpants and sweatshirt. And all I could think as she was leaving was, so now you're going to go to your fancy dinner in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> all right. Go get them, champ. That is insane. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we had a lady I complain once about the weather. <laughs> Can't you do anything about the weather? It's like, no. We're not magicians. Like, uh, what? what is the matter with you? I can't remember uh, what I was listening to, but I think the person being interviewed was like uh, a like small town police officer of some kind, and they asked like what some of the craziest calls they had gotten were, and the dispatcher like <laughs> sent an all call to all the units and was like, "Hey, we got a call from a lady um, asking us if we could get the wind to die down. So if anyone could get on that." <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and I was like uh, give them a they get some laughs in there I guess <laughs> um, so would you say that like before you started working in guest relations did you you know what got you in the door there like did you have an interest in the studio before that or were you just kind of looking for a job well that was my first job out of college wow cool so I I went to San Francisco State and I loved it up there, and I so wanted to stay there. But at the time, I was still like, I want to be one of those fancy movie actors yeah. I've heard so much about. Did you go to school for theater? I got a minor in theater because I realized, like, they're not going to look at my resume and go, oh, theater degree, we should really hire this guy. <laughs> I was like, no one gives a shit mm. about getting a theater degree. Yeah. doesn't matter where it's from. Yeah. All it's going to come down to is, can you do the job? Do you yeah. look good? Are you going to look good in front of the camera? Oh, look, you went to, you know, Steve's college. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um. So I came back down, and a buddy of mine was working there at the time, and he told me, he's like, hey, if you need a job, they're about to have auditions for tour guides. And I, at the, I have always been big into movies. Okay. Like, even as a kid, I just, like, I grew up in Inglewood, California, mm -hmm. um, and so it's not, it wasn't the safest neighborhood, so mm -hmm. we couldn't, like, really be out too much. We had a big uh, complex with, like, three small homes and had a big yard, and it was all fenced in. So cool. We were yeah, we were fine in that sense. That's awesome. But even then, it's like, what else did we do? And my, both my parents work, so I watched TV a lot. I was a, kind of a latchkey TV kid. Sure. And so it was just movies, TV shows, cartoons. Like, that was my jam growing up. Sure. And so, of course, when it was like, well, do you want a job where all you do is talk movies and TV? I was like, yes, I Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yes, I That's do, sir. I that sounds amazing. Cool. That's exactly what I was looking for, uh, was just to see if there was, like, an origin for an interest Oh, yeah, totally. Before he came through Yeah, the no, I was a huge movie guy. So I was already, like, I already had my own basic knowledge. Uh -huh. Like, I used to uh, uh, go on IMDb forever uh, and just go to whatever movie I could think of and then go to their trivia section. Love it. Yeah. I always just read that. I didn't care about anything else. Like, yeah. just tell me interesting facts about this movie. Like, uh -huh. what do I need to know about this movie? Uh -huh. And then after that, I would just start noticing my own little things. And slowly but surely, I just pieced it all together. And um, the audition is uh it's a process yeah it is a long process it's a if they're still doing it the exact same way it is a three-pronged process you have to come back three different times wow one for a big cattle call one for a smaller cattle call and then the third is a one-on-one -on -one 
with the director of the studio tour. Wow. So it's three different auditions. That's crazy. Yeah. And then after that, they invite you into the training class, which is about three weeks, if it's still the same. Because I trained back in 2003, 2003, 2004. Um, and so it's three weeks of training. And your training manual is probably inch and a half thick. Wow. With all the information that you need to learn. Uh, and then at the end of that, they test you and you still might not pass. Dang. Yeah. So you just spent a month trying to get this job and some people still don't get it. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. It is. It was very intense for... Well, like looking back on it now, I go, yeah, it needs to be intense because it is a lot. That's it is a, so much. That's it. That's it. Kind of exactly what I was thinking was like, I guess, uh, I guess if they really want a specific, you know, experience for people coming through that lot, then they should vet people that much before they, you know, just throw them out there and hope they can pull it together. I mean, it comes down to our two hundred people going to want to watch you for an hour and not just that can we trust you with 200 people because when you're out there yes there's people all around but it's mostly you the driver and then 200 people on this giant tram wow so if something goes wrong you have to take care of it at least for like five minutes while people get out to where you are right because the lot is it should still be 415 acres. So it is oh massive. Oh, my God. It's massive. That's huge. Yeah. And only a small part of that is the park. Most of it is the studio. Right. So the park is not that big. Right. So if you ever go to the one out in L.A., you'll realize, oh, this is actually rather small. Mm -hmm. But because the studio takes up the rest of the property. Wow. Yeah. It's massive. So, so if something does the goes tour wrong. just go through the park itself? Or? No, the tour goes through the studio. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. So you start out in the park. Okay. But as soon as you get on the tram, it takes 10 seconds to go, okay, we're out of the park. Wow. And now we are officially in the studio. Cool. Yeah. It is very quick to get out of the park and into the studio. So what are the, like, um, what's the, like, pricing look like you know because i feel like especially working in guest relations you'd probably and like having people who didn't understand what they're they're like getting into. what they're getting into yeah do people like walk up and just buy a ticket for the tour or i believe in the beginning you used to be able to do that mm -hmm. but now the tour is part of the park i see so in order to take the tour you have to buy a ticket into the park yeah but the thing that most people don't realize is, much like in Orlando, out there, Disney is king. So anytime the Disney raise their prices, we had to raise our mm. prices just to compete. Wow. Which, which to me, I was like... It's counterintuitive. It is super counterintuitive because I'm like, you, can, you can't compete. It's 96 rides to four. Yeah. And yes, you have the tour... But it's still four rides. Yeah. To me, I'm like, if you lower with the your, tour being one of those with four? the with the no the tours. It's, so it's okay. like it's tour. It's a couple of 3D shows, and then uh, like a, a special effects uh, demonstration, uh, maybe makeup, and then the rest are just rides. Wow. Okay. So it's it's not a lot. Yeah. And keep in mind because they don't have. It's not like 
Disneyland that that was like slowly taking over Anaheim like a yeah, virus. Right, right. We're limited to our space, and so rides have come and gone. Wow. So I told you about the Waterworld yeah. stunt show that used to be the Miami Vice stunt show. That's hilarious. Which I got to see as a kid, That's and it was so amazing. Funny. That's really cool to have some that much like background on it to oh, have gone there as a kid. I still remember the first time I went on the tour as a kid. That's amazing. And they used to have this old animatronic King Kong. If you've ever have you ever seen the movie The Wizard? Uh yeah, yeah. It's been a long time, yeah. but yes. Well, they have the King Kong in that movie. That sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. So that old animatronic King Kong burned down. And so they built a new one, but based around the Peter Jackson King Kong. Cool. So uh, that one burned down in a huge fire, but I remember that King Kong because at 10 years old, it scared the hell out of me. Dude, I got it. I remember coming out of there just like in tears. Yeah. And then I came back, and I used to tell this story when we had like time to kill on the tour. (laughs) Because I was like, and now I'm back here, and it haunts me every day. That's so funny. yeah, So this this went back all the way till I was like 10 years old. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Cool. I was just kind of, uh, seemingly like a pedantic detail, but I was just kind of trying to get a feel for like, what do people think they're getting into when they come into the park kind of thing, I guess. A lot of people, I think, aren't really sure. Yeah. Because it's such a weird combination of things. It it is a working studio, Mm -hmm. but it also has this theme park attached to it, and attached to the theme park is like what they call the city walk, which is a bunch of bars and stores and shops and restaurants Mm -hmm. that you have to walk through in order to get get to the park. To everything else. So they they park the guests in the back, (laughs) forcing them to walk through the city walk area (laughs) to the front of the park. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, let's eat here. Let's grab a bite to eat before we go into the park thinking I'll save some money. And you won't because they regulate all the prices in there. So they get in and it's generally like, what do we do? Like, how does this work? That's so funny. And people even ask us like at the tour, like, where do I get the ticket for this? And it's like, you don't. You just get in line. It's just a ride. Oh, you're here. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is so funny. Um, so, uh, after you went through that training process, uh, oh, did you work in guest relations before you auditioned? No, they hired me to be a guide, but at the time that I was hired, which was right before spring break, spring break 2004, I want to say, um, they were like, we're fairly overstaffed right now. Huh. Um, and mind you, it was 2004, so we're... Three years out of 9-11. Sure. And 9-11, obviously, aside from, you know, changing the way we do a lot of things in this country. Yeah. um, It changed the face of international um, uh, tourists. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, people didn't want to travel. Sure. So any theme park, in the United States at least, had to switch from their focus... Uh, towards uh, merchandising and and you know uh, commercials and everything internationally to locally. Wow, which is why a lot of theme parks started doing you know buy a day get a year free. Yeah, you know, right. As long as you oh, can show, yeah, as long as you can show that you're a SoCal resident, you'll get the whole year pass yeah. for the price of the ticket. 
Because it's like, well, we need people to come back. And if we skip their... Um, if we skip their their gate Entry, ticket, yeah. they still have to pay like fifteen bucks to park. They still have to pay like fifteen bucks to eat. They still have to pay, you know, this much for drinks and, and this much like, for yeah. It's not like skipping their ticket entry really like having one more person or one more family in the park that day doesn't actually cost that much it more in terms of operating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It costs nothing. Yeah. That's that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that in the economics of like, why would they just give this away for free? But yeah. it makes a lot of sense. It's not free at all. They're just trying to get more customers in there buying the other shit that they have at the park. We needed we needed to compete and it was never gonna happen because on our fullest day, like we are jam packed, no one else can come in here. I think it's somewhere between forty and fifty thousand people. Wow. That is a super slow day for Disneyland. Wow. Like ridiculously slow. <sighs> and so there was just, there was like, there's no way. There's yeah. no way we can do this. Yeah. And so they were just like, it switched all of that. And so they weren't a lot of shifts to be given at the time. But they go, because you're all kind of like very um, enthusiastic and uh, willing to be in front of guests. Uh, we're just going to put you guys in guest relations, which was really nice because as tour guides, they were like, we understand you're all actors. Yeah. You just want to work. Yeah. And so we'll put you in different departments because they need help. That's actually what I was going to say. It has to have felt like a bit of a coup for them to hire you, oh, even yeah. though they didn't even feel like they needed guides I worked at that in moment. so many different departments around that part. <laughs> I so even funny. worked in the staffing department for a while. And I saw the breakdown of, like, this is how we hire people. Wow. And it is completely based on personalities. Wow. Completely. Cool. So I got to see the breakdown of that. And they taught it to me. And so when people would come up and fill out their applications and then I'd have to ask them a question or two, just off of that, they would tell me, if you, like, if you look at them and you can already tell where they need to be, just write it on their application. That's so funny. Yeah. That's cool. But I'll say this, and I, and now that I don't work there, they yeah, can't do cares? shit to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if someone ever came up and acted like a dick, no, f- I would what? immediately go parking lot. <laughs> like, you, you want to work here? You're working in the parking lot because <laughs> you're a dick. That's amazing, though. Like, what a man. That's awesome. That's so funny, uh, and kind of heartening in the long run that they were just like. If a person seems like they'd, you know, be good in a certain department, just let us know. Yeah. And that was always the thing, too. They like they would always tell cuz I also did orientations for the new hires. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that we would tell them. If you're here after they have everyone does a probationary period, which I think was 60 days. After your 60 days, if you realize I don't love this job, I'd but I hurt. do see this other job that I think I'd be great at. Just let us know. We could probably transfer you. Like, we want you to be happy so you'll stick around. And so people got moved around all the time. That's really funny. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. It sounds like a a pretty decent, like, gig in org to be around. Like anything, the gig itself is amazing. The <laughs> people that ran it, usually, like, they were the the wrenches in the works that kind of ruin things ain't that the truth uh man it's i've been thinking about this so much recently especially because this 
freaking analogy keeps coming up where it's like, uh, we need to run this government like a business. We got to get a businessman in here and really like pull things together and just make things happen. Most of the businesses I'm aware of are run friggin' horribly. Yeah, terribly. <laughs> and it's like, how does that logic track at all? Like, anything that I, you know, uh, anything I've been even remotely close to, exactly what you're saying is the hang-up. It's yeah. like managerial and, like, organizational, and everything else could be friggin' dreamy, you know? Like, the interpersonal relationships and the work that you're actually doing. And I swear... The older I get, the more I talk to people who, you know, go from job to job in the Chicago area and elsewhere, the more their main complaint is that things don't work the way that they could. No, no, because and and the fact that people that that's one thing that I've also been thinking about yeah. was like when people's like, Oh, we really need to run this like a business and I was like, Okay. I'm thinking of certain businesses <laughs> like let's let's say Google, yeah, who really does run their business very differently than most, mm-hmm. and it has been very successful. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I'm like, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about running this like corporations. Yes. And keep in mind, with corporations, you're just a number. Yes. And there, we all had like ID cards, and everything went through our ID cards. So I was like, so we're not even numbers, we're barcodes. Yeah, man. They don't yes. care. And also, like, businesses are meant to turn profits, whereas government, if it has a profit, I feel like that's a failure. Like, I feel like the profit should be put back into yeah, the country. There should be no profit. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, yes, definitely. Best let's, case scenario let's stay is in the black, we break even. <laughs> yeah. Like, there should be no profits. Who's yeah. pro- who? And then the question is who gets those profits? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so people tell, uh, I mean, this. We could go on this forever, yeah. uh, I was going to say, like, people tout Mike Pence for Indiana having, like, a profit margin, like a large profit margin uh, while he was governor. And I'm just like, that is bad because he got money from cutting a bunch of necessary things. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's so... Weird and stupid, but it's a totally different yeah, it's a conversation. Completely different conversation. <laughs> it just doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. I guess in terms of like the the upper workings and and um, honestly, like it wasn't even like you know the suits upstairs sure. sent this down, and unfortunately, like, it was not that. It, it was, was literally just like. Our managers were day-to-day idiots. Day-to-day operations. Day-to-day yeah. sort of stuff. We had one guy. Probably don't have that much managerial experience. Well, that, and that was the, I think that was the more depressing thing is this guy had been running the tour for forever. Oh. He, he was a tour guide. <laughs> but he was just kind of like, you know who he was? He was that boss who was more concerned with being your friend yeah. than he was with being your boss. Yes. And so many times I would go to him with an issue and he would always say, great, I'll talk to that person. I'll have it taken care of. And then when I'd see him next time, he'd be like, oh, by the way, I talked to so-and-so and we're good. And for some reason, it, I would always be like, I'm going to follow up with that person. Right. And I remember going to them and going, hey, did, uh, you know, did so-and-so talk to you about this thing? And immediately, no, no. not at all. I haven't heard anything about that. Ugh. I was just like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, that is, man. I yeah. think I heard he finally got demoted because he pulled a, lo- a little bit too much too of that shit. Too many of it. I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was he 
promised a promotion to one person and that person like quit all their other jobs because it was a full-time job. And then at the last second was like, by the way, you're not getting that. And they like he the the guy took it all the way to the top and they were like, Yeah, we're gonna demote you because that's some shitty shit you're pulling down there. That's the thing is I feel like it's usually just little things. Yeah. It's usually just really like feasible things that yeah, for one reason or another, people won't do just because it's harder to actually like have that conversation with someone than it is to just come back to you and say, Hey, we're good. You yeah, know, like it was so just easy little, just to go, hey, we're good. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little more difficult. And like, it just uh, depends on what people actually want to bring to the table. Yeah, he was a he wasn't a great boss. And he was always <laughs> like going off and like he had so much plastic surgery and he was obviously always hiding his age. But I would always tell people, if you want to know his age, look at his hands. <laughs> his hands are so wrinkled. You can see his hands, and they're gross. <laughs> I feel like that would become a uh, a like real rule of thumb in LA. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh totally. That be that very much became my rule. I would look at hands for two reasons. If your face looked like oh something's going on, let me look at your hands. Oh yeah, you've had work done. Uh-huh. But it also became the and this was like in my like mid to late 20s where I realized, oh, people are like getting married and I'm like hitting on married ladies. That's so I would start so looking for a ring. Funny. That's so funny. So you check in like age and marital status. Age and marital status. <laughs> based on these all bad boys. on these hands. <laughs> it's like you're not married, but I also think you're 80, even though your face does not tell me that. You're not married, and maybe the reason why is because I'm vastly underestimating your age. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once you like kind of went, uh, kind of made your way through the trenches, I guess. Uh, what was your experience getting into actually doing the tours? The tours were great. I mean, it when I got hired, there was a lot more room to play. Cool. Because I was there close to, I was there little over eight years uh and in the beginning we we changed hands so many times during the time that i worked there um we at the time that i i started working there we were owned by i think we were uh, we were, at one point we were owned by seagram's which is a canadian liquor company yeah like gin yeah yeah, yeah. and Whiskey. then then yeah. i believe we were owned by vivendi um and then from there we switched over to GE mm-hmm. and GE sold us off to NBC. Mm-hmm. So we changed mm-hmm. hands that many times. So each t- so... E- each time they would like tighten the screws and it would go from like really make this tour your own to here's the script, stick to the script, and half of the script is commercials. That is so funny and like kind of unsurprising because I feel like if Seagram's owned this place, they'd be like. Oh, like, you know, it's so far yeah, down. Yeah, it's so far down from what they actually do. Yeah, whereas, like, the closer it got to being NBC-controlled, the more they wanted to, especially with, by the time it got there, and when you were, you know, by the time it was owned by NBC, NBC, like, needed uh, whatever boost they could get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's see. I l- left that job in 2011, I believe, and we were purchased in 2010, I think. Oh, wow. So they've had it for a few years, uh, but each time it was a little less of like your own sort of show. And then it was like, hey, we have these 
trailers. Scripts. We have these trailers you got to play. We have these direct quotes lines that you have to say and you have to say it just like this and yeah it it but i'll say this it was so cushy because it's an actor job yeah and so you could come in and leave for auditions and they would work with you on all of that i think about that so much i had someone on recently who talked about like kind of the life of being a stand-up in chicago and we had that exact conversation where like day jobs in Chicago are not willing to work with you on stuff. Not at, at all. In, in in the grander like yeah. picture. But LA seems like it would have to be some yes, some no. Yeah. M- more probably more towards the yes, but there definitely those jobs are and just through the description of the job, you especially could tell. something like this. Yeah, especially something it, because they it's specifically want for actors. Performers, yeah. But I will tell you this on the during my second callback, they literally said to us, we're going to pay you for the training minimum mm-hmm. because, and they, they did at least acknowledge, this is kind of a terrible thing to say, but if this tour was in like Kansas, you guys would be making like $30 an hour. But because it's LA and actors are a dime a dozen. Oh, wow. We don't have to pay you that much. Because oh, p- no. someone will take the job. Oh, man. They said that. Um, and, like, there was a lot of those harsh realities. After a few years, yeah. I trained to be a VIP guide, which is a completely different experience. Because you go from an hour tour to a seven-hour tour. Whoa. Half of it in the park, half of it in the studio. Whoa. So they get a super extended three-hour tour where they actually get to step off and go into some of the buildings and stuff like that. But on the first day of training, the first thing they said to us is, if you are not comfortable being around people who just throw money around, this is not the job for you. Yikes. Like for all of the tours or for that VIP? For the VIP tour. Yeah. The regular tour is, you know, Joe Schmo sleeping in the front row and I'm trying to like keep up my energy (laughs) but this dude's just like engaged, (sighs) yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm working. Come on, Uh... man. (laughs) And it's not like I was, you know, with a highfalutin crowd on the VIP tours. Sometimes it was people who, like, we've been saving for years. This has been our dream to come here because we love the movie so much. So, of course, those people, I'm like, I'm going to give you all this extra stuff. And you probably, like, make their life. Oh, when I got to meet people like that, it was very much like, I'm going to, like, I would always, during my VIP tours, be like, what are some of your favorite movies or shows? And, like, if we have some of those locations, I will make special trips out to those locations. Because like that's why they come there. Yeah, it's my supposed to be favorite movie to is Back to the Future, which was filmed at Universal. Mm-hmm. Like the courthouse is at Universal. That's awesome. And so to go there every day and just tell people this is Hill Valley from Back to the Future was like the the best part I of my like day. I have chills just oh, you describing. Yeah, that. just that's like so cool. I still rem- I'll never forget. Like we would come out of this area and then just make a right turn, and we would tell people. Uh, God, do I still remember that part of the script? We would say something like, all right, now we're going to leave our Brownstone Street and bring you into our courthouse square, which some of you might remember as Kingston Falls from the movie Gremlins. It was also used in the movie The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy, but most of you will recognize this as Hell Valley from the movie Back to the Future. And we would play a clip, and if you timed it just right... As you were saying Hill Valley from the movie Back to the Future, you would hear 
dun 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 dun, yeah. dun 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 and they're playing clips and showing like the car going down exactly. the street and I would tell them like the street is you know open at the end but they built the movie theater that he crashes his car into and they dug all this out to build the reflecting pool for number two and so we got to tell all these fun facts about That's it so cool and to watch everyone's faces just go oh my god yeah, oh my god right yeah, because that's definitely one of those like cult like oh, totally. people love people back love to the Back to the Future. Yeah. So to tell them like this is where we did this and this is where we did that, and then of course I still remember the day that I had like a row of like teenagers uh, in my front row, and I was like Back to the Future, and they're just like. What is that? Oh. I was like, oh my God, my heart just died a little oh, bit. No. It was like one of those first moments in a long journey of, oh like, God, I'm getting old. I'm yeah. ever aging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh, it was amazing because, like, every, you know, we would consistently have people filming on the lot. Sure. So it was rare, but you would have, like, I still remember going through our, our front lot area. So the studio is broken up into two parts, front lot and back lot. The front lot are all the sound stages. The back lot are all the outdoor sets. Okay. Um, and they're broken up into different areas. So we have like a New York street. We have a, a little Europe. Um, we had a, a, like an uh, Old West sort of area. Uh, it was called Six Points, Texas. Because at one point we used to have six different Western streets uh, that would meet at one point like a wagon wheel. Uh, That's so funny. And they would be filming six movies at once because at the time. All in the different. All in the different streets because at the time the movies were silent. Oh, shit. So they could make quick one reelers, westerns, put them out. Because what a lot of people don't know. Yeah, what a lot of people don't know about Universal is that Universal started as as a B studio. They would make all the B movies. All the the like all those classic Universal monster movies. Those were B movies. Oh those were yeah, crap movies. For sure, back in yeah, the day. that makes a ton of sense. I didn't think about that in terms of the literal Universal monster movies are all oh, just yeah. like MST three K fodder. Every, yeah, everyone <laughs> yeah. is always like, oh, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Creature from the Black Lagoon <laughs> was like a crap movie back in the day, yeah. but it just became this cult classic. That yeah. now that like it literally went from cult classic to just classic. Mm. But it was like they were like, oh, makes so much. You know, sense. it would go from we're like, oh, this, yeah, this merman, or you know, uh, them <laughs> with uh, the giant ants, and you know, like, they would start playing with like, oh, we figured out how to like, you know, uh, do uh, back screen projection. You know, where they show people sure. driving down the road, and you can so tell that they're not driving down yes, the road. Yes, yes. So they would use that to like. That's how they made like the Incredible Shrinking Man. That's so funny. And they're like, these are all crap movies. This is what yeah. Universal was known for until the 30s when they won their first Academy Award. Whoa. For All Quiet on the Western Front. I knew you were going to know what it was. <laughs> it was 1932. They won uh, for All Quiet on the Western Front. The first Academy Award happened in 29, and we won our first uh, Academy Award uh, for Best Picture in 32. Wow. Um, so once they got that, which was like this World War One epic, mm-hmm. um, which at the time they weren't calling World War One because it was 1932. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but Just World War. Yeah, they they won this Academy Award, and all of a sudden people were like, "Oh, Universal might actually be like a competitor a to all the other studios." So they kind of had a little more clout. They, yeah, they started kind of climbing, uh, 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 climbing the ladder with all the other studios. Uh, at the time, there was a man named Lou Wasserman who ran the studio. 
clear into like the 60s. And he was the one who uh, decided to invest a ton of money into this newfangled technology known as television. Uh. When all the other studios went, no one's going to watch this crap. Yeah. Who's going to want to go home and watch a tiny little screen when yeah. they could come out to our movie theaters and watch these giant screens? Of co- and Lou Wasserman was like, no, this is what this is the future. Let's start investing in this. All the other studios lost a ton of money and a ton of property. Uh, and in 1915, we opened the studio with 415 acres. And as far as I know, 2017, they still have 415 acres. Dang. That's... That's so, like, to think about things like that is really mind-blowing in the age of media that we're in. Because I feel like we've seen television change even in the last, like, two years. Oh, yeah. Television isn't really even television anymore. Yeah. Because of all the streaming services. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like... You know, it, it changed so much uh, all the way from, you know, the the way actors get paid as the writer strike and the actor strike a few years ago. That was all about how are we going to get compensated with all this Internet stuff? Yeah. And of course, SAG, SAG uh, wasn't SAG after at the time. Now it is. But they're very much like, oh, well, you know, it's the Internet. We don't really have to. And it's like, no, you really do have yeah. to. And it was again, it was smart for us to do that because now. Things like Netflix that makes their own shows and Amazon makes their own shows and CISO and Hulu mm-hmm. and uh, HBO Go. Mm-hmm. And so like it was it very much benefited actors. And then it went to studios having to change the way that they do things. And even like their TV shows started having online versions of their TV shows, which shows like The Office in their right. later seasons who started having like those little mini, mini episodes yes. on the website. So it just mm-hmm. became like the uh, from the actor point of view the idea of success in hollywood is no longer what it used to be now you can have if you're fine with being a working actor and not necessarily have your name up in lights you could have a successful career in hollywood if you're not looking to like have your face up on a billboard you yeah. can just you can just work cuz there are so many projects now i think that's awesome i i think it's it's good for work and i think Man, it's so interesting to see, like, what really takes off and, like, how, like, our, you know, as performers and as people who enjoy comedy and, like, making comedy, the things that we watch are so different than the things that, like, most of, uh, like, people who aren't in the industry watch. Some of the things that went through our studio... Like, we could kind of tell, like, this is going to stick around. Uh Uh-huh. This is a season. Like what? Tops. Well, like, I remember when they closed um, this one specific street towards the back of the studio known as Colonial Street. And have you ever seen the movie The Burbs with Tom Hanks? Oh, no, I've never seen it. Uh, Did you ever see Deep Impact? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so both of those movies were all filmed on this street, because Colonial one. Street. Okay. Um, this is also where they shot. Um, they shot Leave It to Beaver on this street. Sure. They shot the Munsters on this street. Damn. Um, yeah, they shot so much stuff. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Just like it's suburbia. Ju- it, it's just yeah. a suburban street, mm-hmm. and they closed it for forever. And we had to start announcing that uh, Disney Studios. Uh, was going to start, I think it's Buena Vista, um, oh. is going to start production on some new show called Desperate Housewives. We don't know what it is. 
Uh, and then, of course, years later, our uh, script changes to go, that's where Terry Hatcher lives, that and that's where so-and-so lives, so and that's where this funny. character lives. And the funny thing was, we sh- we had to know all these characters, and I did a VIP tour once where I got to meet all of them. Like, we took, how's this for random? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was still the governor <gasps> of California, had a meeting with all the border governors, which meant any governor of any state on both sides of the border, like if you if your state touches the border on the Mexico side or the United States side, come and meet with us. Whoa. We want to talk about like immigration and how we can help both sides. Wow. So they decided we'll do it at Universal Studios. That is insane. <laughs> and he did a special performance for them of the Terminator 2 The Ride Show. Shut up. <laughs> so he was there and there's a picture of all the governors and him in the Terminator jackets with Terminator glasses <gasps> in front of the Terminator bike. That is crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And so I got to give them a tour of the studio in Spanish because all the obviously all the border governors speak Spanish. And one of the things that they set up for them was, oh, you're going to take them down to uh, Colonial Street because they have a bunch of the Desperate Housewives there to meet them. <laughs> And so uh, Felicity Huffman was there, and Terry Hatcher was there, and um, oh, the 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 husband uh, is it Kyle McLaughlin? I might that's be wrong. A, uh, I, I think that's right, but I I could be that's I could a be wrong. Guy from like Blue Velvet and stuff. Yes. Okay. I I think it's him, but I I, I honestly never watched the show. Yeah, ne- never, I was gonna say I, I can't... never properly learned anybody's name. That's so. Funny. I always just went knew off the of, actors. Yeah, like I yeah. knew the actors. That's how, yeah, I have, like, much more of a working knowledge of a lot of things than I've actually, like, seen, you know, things like yeah. Desperate Housewives. Well, things like IMDb is what helped me. Like, sure. I would go there and be like, okay, Terry Hatcher plays this and this person plays that, but I never actually took the That's time to so watch the funny. show. Yeah, I don't know if Kyle McLaughlin was on it. I, I, I don't think it is. I think I'm very wrong. Uh, but, <laughs> so, so, like, you would never know what your day was going to be like until you came in. I remember coming in one day to do a VIP tour, and I was like, hey, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? I was like, hey, Luis, here's your tour. FYI, um, Sade is on your tour today. (laughs) And I go, smooth operator Sade? (laughs) And they go, yeah, you know her? I was like, do I know Sade? (laughs) Do I know Sade? You shut up. (laughs) And I was like, is it a private tour? Uh, they go, no, no, no. She's going on the regular tour. Oh, my God. And so there was Sade and Sade's daughter on my tour with the regular crowd. And she was there to promote her new album a few years ago. Um, and so I'm just like, you're like Sade. This is real. I once had this super sweet old lady on my tour. She was this very nice British lady. And so I was like, oh, what what brings you to the States? And she's like, oh, my husband is actually working on the lot. And I go, oh, uh, what's he working on? It's like, well, I'm not supposed to say, but he's working on the new Indiana Jones movie. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Who's your husband? And then she does the look to both sides and she goes, my husband's John Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And I was like, like Harry Potter, yeah. like Hellboy John Hurt, yeah. like Alien John like Hurt. Like R.I.P. John Hurt, correct? Yeah, yeah he passed away. Yeah, like, he passed recently. away very recently. Yeah. Uh and she's like, Yeah, he's he's my husband. He's acting in the movie. And I was like, that's Shut so your mouth. Funny. Uh still, uh, my favorite moment will forever be they were about to unveil the new Simpsons ride. Um and so that it was the press junket, uh, like the day or two before they officially opened it to, to the public. Oh, I'm sure they had all kinds of stuff like that. Consistently, yeah. consistently. Um, and so every they called a bunch of us VIP guides in. And they're like, "Okay, you're all gonna go down to this location. You're gonna pick up the people on your sheet. You're gonna walk them up to the ride. And once you get there, there'll be people there to direct you as to where to take specific people. And then so they hand me my sheet." And right at the top of the list was my name, and right next to that was Matt Groening. Oh, my God. So they were like, and again, I'm like, The Simpsons Matt Groening? Yeah. And they're like, like, yeah, yeah, go pick him up. You're going to walk him over to the ride. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I went down there. I met him. He was so nice. I'm sure. And I was like, all right, follow me this way. What do you say to Matt Groening Except for, uh, well, Thank Mr. You. well, Mr. Graining, <laughs> this is your ride. Yeah. Oh my God. And he pulled out his newfangled iPhone one. Oh my God. Which was humongous. Yeah. But I, I'm still thinking. In my head, and it was I, probably like one of the first times you had seen someone with one. Yes. And in my head, I'm like, of course you have an iPhone. You're filthy, stinking rich. Why exactly. wouldn't you have an iPhone? Right. And right, this right, made right. my day because he pulls out his iPhone and he immediately just starts clicking pictures and he just keeps going, oh my God, this is so cool. Oh. And it only made me so happy because I was like, you still love it. <laughs> you still amazing. love it. Thank you for still loving it. Oh, that is so. Oh, it, that is such a sweet story. It made my day. It made my day that he's 20 years later, he's still like, I still love these characters and I love everything you and did with it. And they're all like physical. Yeah. And, and, and he loved the ride. And this was the heartbreaker for the day. They're like, okay, let's go ride the ride. And the ride holds up to eight people. And. Their group had seven, and I was the eighth. <gasps> so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to ride the Simpsons ride with, with Matt, Matt Groening. I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to go. Yeah, yeah, and we're exactly. Going, yeah, we're going into the room, and right as I'm about to cross the threshold into the room, the lady in charge goes, why don't you wait outside? No. And all I could say is, yes, ma'am. I, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to go like, come on, right, you it's Matt Grady, yeah, come on. I will never forget this. Yeah, I just had to go, yes, ma'am. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that is such a heartbreak. Yeah, if that lady is out there listening, go to hell. <laughs> was it just like the person who worked the ride or something? Oh, it, no, it was like it was like Someone a PR. Who, like, with yeah, them. it was like a PR person for the, for the studio. Boo. Yeah, it was the worst. That is amazing. I got though. yeah, I got to I like I got to chill with Roger Corman for like an hour, just him and I. He was very well known for making super low budget B movies. Okay. But the name sounds familiar to me for sure. You've definitely heard it before. Look uh -huh. him up. He's a real cool dude. Uh -huh. Cuz he used to make like a movie in a weekend with like a thousand dollars left over from the last movie Sick. he made. Yeah, he's the one who did the original Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. with Jack Nicholson. Yes, and he also did the original uh, Death Race Two Thousand, 
with Sylvester Stallone. I know what you're talking about. Yes, so I knew I knew the name. Yeah, so he's very much known as like he gave all these actors their start and their shitty little movies, but they're amazing because he had to be super creative with it. So he was there, um, and they were just about to release the new Death Race uh, with um, oh, what's his name? Uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. He's the he's the transporter. Um, oh, Jason Statham. Statham. So that was about to come out. And he was talking about he was talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, we're talking about the DVD right now, but I'm not really sure what to do with that." And I was like, "You know what would be cool is if in the DVD you had the original Death Race on it for sure." And he was like, "Oh, that would be super amazing." I don't know if he went with that idea, but to be able to like shoot the shit with Roger Corman for an hour, just about like. So tell me about your life because yeah. it's much more interesting than mine. Sure. Um, yeah, and then they used to have all these award shows, and so I got to like meet some like personal heroes and some people that I've always enjoyed watching. And of course, it wasn't in like a same level like yeah. we're here as equals sort of way, but it was still like, hey, thanks for coming to the studio. But it was still really weird to like. Do a regular VIP tour and be like, hey, this is where they made the movie Jurassic Park. And this is where they made this movie. And this is where they made that movie. And then giving a tour to an actor and his family and just go, hey, remember when you were here and you made this movie? (laughs) Like, it's weird to do that. Yeah, it seems like you kind of had to be this interesting conduit of like, you know, connecting the studio to people who have no concept of it and kind of being a little bit of a... You know, like, I'm sure a lot of those people, especially if they're, like, big fans of the studio and media in general, like, you know, being very wide-eyed and, like, impressed by the information that you had to bring. And then you kind of having to be that person for a lot of other people who came in to, to do this other stuff. It was having to find a way to deliver what is essentially pretty dry information. Because mm-hmm. we used to take them into, like the the lighting department and just be like oh that's a gobo and this light bulb is 2000 watts like nobody cares about that yeah, shit yeah that's so funny so it, it, we had to like find a way to like spice it up for people so instead of like oh that's a 2000 watt light bulb but what we would say is like these light bulbs are used for night shoots to double as the sun to make it look like it's daytime and, you know, and this is how they would set this up, and this is how this looks. Which and, is, like, a thousand times more interesting. Yes. Yeah. So it's, like, it's teaching people things. It, it's making, it's tricking people into forgetting that they're actually learning. Oh, that's really funny. That's yeah. what it is. That's a perfect way that's to That's how I used it. to describe it. It's yeah. like, I have to make you forget that you're learning things right that's now. That's so funny. Yeah, because any, is it, man. Gosh, that's like the job of a teacher, really. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> I it, guess you know, it, <laughs> and like with any teacher, it just helped that I loved the subject that sure. I was talking about, which made it fun for me. But it was also consistently like, you know, I worked there for eight years. Figure it would average out with all the shifts and times that I wasn't working. Maybe like four days a week, I was consistently working at least three to four tours a day. 200 people per tour. So we're talking, wow. yeah, we're up there. Thousands. We're, we're way up there. And the one thing, or a couple of things that always stuck in my mind is, uh, well, this I, I can't think of how many tours I've actually done, and I still have to keep it fresh. And also, how many 
albums, like photo albums, am I in around the world? Oh, yeah. Because people would come up to us after the tours and take pictures with us. And so all I could think is I am in photo albums, like family vacation albums around the world. I wonder if you could like, like, because Facebook has like facial recognition technology I would to begin love with. to be able to find old pictures. You'd think there has to be a way for them to integrate like searching your face I even would if you're love not tagged. To find out. Even if it was just one. Like I took so many pictures with people that I can only imagine. You know there there's are so you many know pictures, pictures of me and out even, there. Even like there have to be pictures People took like while they were on the tour yes. that you're like in the foreground of. Yeah, so I'm just like I I, I don't know That's how many so pictures of me or funny. how many people were like actually zooming in on me while I'm talking and looking right. left and right. Right. It was That's yeah. So funny. Uh, so we talked a lot about, uh, or we've kind of you know talked about like different parts um, of the tour and uh, when you were doing it like things would have to change based on what was uh, actually like in the studio at the time? Well, yes. The route would be set in the morning because it would be based on what was filming on the lot for the day. Man, that's so like, that's so interesting to me that like, I feel like that would keep it from being too stale automatically. Yes, that did happen. It would It would be just like, it could be a last second change too. Wow. So, you know, I'm I'm just going down the road, minding my own business, and all of a sudden my driver will turn to me and go, Hey, we're getting rerouted because this shoot just moved onto the street or this is happening, or we would be entering what's called a quiet zone, which means that they're consistently filming and we would just have to go off mic for a couple minutes as we're going through and this just quiet drive zone. And, like, and ask people not it, to be it, idiots. For us, yeah, and for us it was uh, more obnoxious, but obviously for the guests to hear, hey folks, we're about to go into a quiet zone, which means we're going to an active filming area. They're like, so yeah, so yeah. we would put on specific clips that would on their screen show filming in progress. Please be quiet. It was just a formality. We're sure. not going to hear you from the tram. They, sure, I would have to go off because I'm on a big, loud, booming mic. That makes sense. Um, so of course they're like, wow, 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 this is amazing. But my driver would just be like, we're going to have to make a left instead of a right. So I just quickly looked to see where we were going and then yeah, just be and like, have to pick and up then just immediately the like, and was. now we're headed this way and I'm going to fit it into this. And it was all about transitions. Yeah. So like, and we're leaving this and transitioning into this. And it was just like, and with the VIP tours, we had no route. Right. So it was just like. So you had to learn how to do all that anyway. If there was a backup somewhere, hey, there are four trams waiting to go into King Kong. Well, screw it. Go around them. We'll go to something else. We'll come back to King Kong later. Regular tours weren't allowed to do that. But sure. VIP tours were like, yeah, we don't we don't have time to wait. Let's yeah, go. Which was amazing. They're getting this third yeah. treatment. That's so fun. Uh, what what did you find? I know we spoke specifically to Back to the Future, but what, were there other big um, things that people would really kind of like lose their mind for? Like, what was the or some of the more like iconic things? Well, because Desperate Housewives was so big and it was on for a while. That people ended would, up being one. That ended up one of the big draws. And that's so funny that it wasn't even a Universal property. Well. The thing is, uh, because we have such a large filming area, mm-hmm. um, a lot of studios came to us to film their stuff simply because 
And they just rent that space. And they for just the rent the space. It would be it would be stupid for us not to do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because we're not always filming, and yeah, mo- yeah. money's still money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Um, but the biggest thing was, uh, um, they 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 come into the studio because it's a closed set, so they could go out and film in a suburban neighborhood, but. You have to close the street. Oh, for sure. You have it's... to pay off businesses that might lose money for the day because you're closing the street. They they have to get security to keep people back. They have to keep uh, people out. Yeah. Or you could film on the lot and have 100% full control of every aspect, including the lighting, yeah. the, the sound, everything. You just pay X amount to keep all of that yes, stuff out to, of the to, equation. To, to, to have like a controlled environment. Yeah. That was the big draw. That's interesting. And going back to that uh, loss of property because of TV, Uh other studios don't have as much property as us. So they have to be like- That was going to be my next question was like, why wouldn't other, like, why wouldn't, you know, Buena Vista just have somewhere else to do it? But I guess if Universal kind of has the- We have the property. Wow, They just have to come in and use it and, and pay to use it. And actually, uh, one of my favorite anecdotes uh, for years, uh, Universal's had kind of like a, a like Hatfields and McCoy feud with Disney. Sure. So for a while, they wouldn't even Let say that Disney films were filming on the lot. Whoa. Uh, the biggest one being Newsies filmed oh. on our on our street on our New York street. That makes sense. So a lot of the dance sequences took place on our New York street. Uh huh. Um, and so. But the tour was like, we're not going to mention it because it's Disney. Like, we are not going to advertise for them. So Disney, knowing this, at the end of the street, put up this gigantic banner that said, Filming here, Disney's Newsies. That's so funny. Uh, What a big middle finger. (laughs) Yeah, it was a huge middle finger. And even still now, I'm sure they're not buddy-buddy. But they film. They film on the lot because we have the property and we want the money. Like you said, money's still green, so it doesn't matter. That's so funny. That's so interesting, especially in terms of like thinking about how differently all that Universal stuff operates as opposed to the Disney, like Disneyland's just... Disneyland, like yeah. they're not, you know, behind a bunch of the rides. The, yeah, their studio, their studio is in Burbank, which is like a ten-minute drive from where Universal is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, fun little like trivia fact: no studio is in Hollywood proper. Whoa! There is not a single studio that is in Hollywood. Paramount is technically in Los Angeles. Fox Studios is in Century City. Uh, Universal is in Universal City because they're so big that they were able to incorporate as a city. That's amazing. Uh, And then uh, Walt Disney and Warner Brothers are both in Burbank. Huh. None of the official big studios are actually in Hollywood. Huh. Um, I feel like there is just so much that you garnered about, like, the industry from working there. Yeah, more in the sense of, you know, just like how certain things work. I don't I don't know if it ever got up to the point of like, you know, producer shady stuff or anything like that, but definitely like stuff like none of the studios are in yeah. in actually in Hollywood. Yeah, logistic logistical stuff. Uh enough to like be able to probably answer 
I'm going to probably be generous here, but like 90% of people's questions. And when I wasn't able to, my standard answer was, that's a great question. I'm going to find out for you before the end of the tour. And then if I ever got like two minutes to kind of be by myself, I would, this was before smartphones. Yeah, I was thinking that. I would call our office and just be like, hey, can you Google this for me? I need to find this out. And then as soon as they would come off a ride or whatever, I'd be like, by the way, your question is blankety blank. That's really funny. It was pretty awesome. That's cool. That's impressive, though. Like, that's, you know, going the extra mile. That's what people want in those kinds of experiences, I would think. Um, Are there any other super memorable uh, like tours or things that came through, um, anything else that you'd feel like remiss if we didn't touch on it? Yes. <laughs> the day I got fired. <gasps> oh my gosh. I got fired for, I wish it would have been for something cooler, <laughs> but I got fired for what is essentially demerits. Oh. Because they, they used, our old system our old clocking system used to give you a five-minute grace period each way. Mm. But somewhere along the way, they did away with that and didn't really pass it down to all of us. That's bullshit. Yeah. Ugh. And then one day, I'm up at the Just VIP tour. let people know information. That's like my biggest pet yeah. peeve with managers. No, I agree. Just let people know things. So one day, they were just like, oh, hey, by the way, Ben is going to come down and uh, talk to you later today. They let me work my whole shift before they fired me. That is bullshit. Yeah, but. And it was just because, like, you know, it'd be five minutes here, five minutes there, and, like, they just thought it was happening too much. It was, like, one or two minutes. Ugh. Because I knew I had that five-minute grace period. So I'm like, Ugh. well, one or two minutes, whatever. But it accumulated. And here's the thing. I know for a fact they used to sweep those points under the rug for a lot of people. They did it for my best friend um, who and I was going to say, who grew up to be one of their managers. Yeah, um, so funny. So he ended up being like the lead trainer by the time I was gone, um, which was really funny because when we first started, I was the more corporate, like, I think I want to be a manager. And he was like, I want to get out of here as quick as <laughs> I can. That's really funny. And we ended up switching. <laughs> but um, so my boss comes up and he's like, hey, can we go upstairs and talk? And I was like, sure. I knew it. I was like, I'm getting fired. Based on that. Yeah, based off of that. I was like, yeah, here it comes. But here's the best part. My boss was Benjamin Salisbury, who, uh, if anyone out there is a fan of the TV show The Nanny, oh he was the little God. boy Brighton. Shut up. He, <laughs> he was my boss. And so I got fired by Brighton from The Nanny. <gasps> Only made better by the fact that I am sitting across from Brighton and to my right is our union rep. <laughs> he was the who happened to also be the president of the union, I believe, um, who was this giant black man <laughs> who had a voice like this. His voice was way down here. <laughs> and he was dressed in his Shrek uniform because that's where he worked. He worked no. on the Shrek 4D ride. And their uniform is pretty much like Robin Hood's Merry Men. Sure. Like pointy hat and fringe and brown boots with the, yeah, it was like a whole to-do. Big puffy shirt. And so he's sitting there dressed like a merry man. 
And across the table is Benjamin Salisbury like, hey, we got to let you go and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. I kind of like, at that point, I was like, I don't give a shit about you guys. Sure. Like, you're terrible managers. And I yeah. knew this was coming because I'm not one of your yes men. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite part was I signed the paper saying, you know, sign this, just letting us, letting us, or it, this tells them that we told you, you know everything that we, yeah. et cetera, yeah. And then he goes, okay, well, I'm going to go, uh, and I'm going to leave you two to talk. And I, <laughs> and he starts to get up, and I go, wait, what do we have to talk about? And he goes, well, you know, in case you have any questions or anything. And I just go, I'm fired. That answers my questions. Right, right, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, then I guess you can go. I'll go. And yeah. I, you know, I shook both their hands. I was like, all right, Bye. I, they escorted me out. Oh, God. And the best part was I had to go and take my uniform off and ch- change back into my, my civilian clothes. Street clothes, yeah. Um, and they, you know, they had someone waiting for me to walk me out in case I wanted to steal something <laughs> or hurt someone. Uh, but <laughs> I remember going into the changing room and I was about to take uh, my VIP shirt off, which is uh, a silk button down. And that's the moment where, for some reason, it pops in my head and I go, you know what I've never done? I've never just ripped a button shirt open. (laughs) And so I'm there in the changing room and I just rip my shirt open and buttons fly everywhere. (laughs) And I change out of my uniform and then I... Uh, I drop the pants in the dirty clothes bin, but then I take the shirt up to the seamstress window, and I just go, hey, all the buttons fell off of this. You're going to want to put some new ones on there. And then I walk downstairs to be escorted out. That's the perfect mic drop. Oh, it was my favorite That's thing in the world. Amazing. I was like, I just got fired by an ex-TV star, and then I finally got there. Next to a dude that he was going to yeah. leave me with dressed like he lives next, in yeah, fucking next year I lives Duloc. In, yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, I finally got to like rip my shirt open like a barrel-chested sexy man. I was like, aside from getting fired, this is a pretty good day. <laughs> That is so epic. (laughs) That is exactly the kind of story I'm looking for (laughs) when I ask, is there anything you'd feel remiss to leave out? Uh, That's fucking amazing and hilarious. And I can't believe that's like, ugh, how it how it panned out oh i i could i mean i could talk you, to you for another hour about other a bunch of other stories oh, and sure. celebrities and shenanigans i'm absolutely sure oh how's this you'll love this i had sex on the back lot shut up yes with another employee uh no with my girlfriend at the time what? i had sex on the back lot with my girlfriend at the time did she just like come meet you like well, at work they they would do like employee screenings of new movies and we went to see <gasps> Wimbledon. Oh uh, my God. And then we were both already on the lot. So I was like, do you want to walk around some of the sets? And she's like, sure. And I took her to the New York Street area. And she goes, do you want to have sex on the sets? And I was like, I Absolutely do. Very I much do. so. So how's this for a sick, like, childhood dream? I had sex on the roof of the house that was used to film Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Shut the fuck up. And... <laughs> overlooking this building was the courthouse from Back to the Future. So I'm like, I'm having sex with my girlfriend 
on the sets of Home Alone 2 looking at the courthouse and Back to the Future, I, I did not last long. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, in my mind, I was like, that's so much pressure. But, it was. But and here's was. even more pressure. Tours were going by. Shut up. I could hear tours going by. Shut up. Here's how nervous I was. A helicopter went overhead, and I thought, oh, they could see us. So stupid. It was amazing. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. All the shit I pulled at this job to only get fired for for being late. Yeah. The only way I could describe it is it's like how Al Capone went to jail for tax evasion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah. I pulled so much shit. Yeah, so it was just kind of a matter of time. So, oh, it was so just a matter you. of time. Yeah. But it made me laugh that that's what cut up to me. Sure. I would sneak people in. I would take stuff all the time. I'd just be like, well, you guys have millions. Who the hell cares? Yeah. I would be like swiping stuff. And then what I actually got fired for was, oh, you were late. For like two minutes. By minutes. By like by a minutes. Of times. Yeah. A couple times. I was like, oh, <laughs> is that what this is about? Yeah, no, totally. I was oh, late. I yeah, usually definitely I'd be like, oh, I'm yeah. A, I'm a late guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm so late. I'm so that's late. Really funny. <laughs> that's really, really funny. Um, so I'm glad we got that story in there too. Wow. Um that uh okay. So you spent like the better part of eight plus years doing this. Um, how would you say that your time uh, working at the Universal Studios lot, what do they refer yeah, to it as? Yeah, we refer to it as a lot. Okay. Uh, how would you say that time has influenced you both creatively and then kind of the course of your life in general? Creatively, I would say at the time, I would uh, a few years in, I would complain to my best friend a lot about being bored mm. with the tour. I'm bored. This is boring. I can't do this. And all he would say to me is just like, well, then change it up. Just change it up. That was always his answer to me, which at the time would always piss me off. Because I'm like, ah. that, that's not advice, man. Like, uh-huh. I'm asking you for real advice. Uh-huh. But now looking back on it, I it did this tour. invaluable. Thousands of times. Thousands of times. And each time it's supposed to sound like the first time. Sure. And I, you know, and that's why I would switch departments. I worked guest relations, I worked staffing, I worked orientations, I worked at the special effects stages for a while, being a host of that show, which was even more amazing, because mm-hmm. I got to like actually run animatronics and stuff. That's really cool, yeah. It was amazing. We can talk about that on a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but it, each one was still exactly the same. It was, you're going to, it is a repetitive job, and you just have to find new ways of making it your own. Sure. And making sure you don't get bored with what you're doing, making sure you're not boring the guests with what you're doing, and also keeping yourself interested. And so it would cause me to like research more stuff and always you know, stay on top of movies and, and TV shows. And creatively, it just made me have to come at things from different angles consistently. So I would always find something new. It actually, I would think of a joke and I would get some laughs. Mm -hmm. I would reword the joke and get a few more laughs. And the goal was just what phrasing and like what is the least amount of words because we're moving. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of time. What is the least amount of words I can say to get the most amount of laughs? Wow. 
That's invaluable. Yeah. You had essentially a and captive I, audience yeah, of a couple of hundred. 200 people yeah. each time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, this is what stand-ups do. You know, they Absolutely. just work their jokes over and over and over again with time constraints. Um, and that, for me, especially as an improviser and a comedian and a performer, out of, I mean, I would do an eight-hour shift, at uni- six to eight-hour shift at Universal, ride down the hill to do two shows at Comedy Sports. Mm-hmm. And so it was... 16 hour days of having to be on all day all day because you're on during the tours you get an hour in between both things to go eat and get there and then you had to be on for another six hours because you got shows at comedy sports so you learn to like to work your energy in the right way you learn to space your day out you learn how to work jokes differently you you learn to approach these things from different angles it my time there, looking back on it, was very invaluable to help like me it. become like a very quick-witted performer since, again, there are time constraints and I'm in front of this house for five seconds before we're gone yeah. and never to come and, back to and it again. And you could be rerouted yeah. without knowing it and there, you know, you got your schedule that day for what you're going to see. That's so cool. Yeah, That makes a ton of sense. There was a second part to that question. Uh, how do you feel like it kind of altered, like, how do you feel like it's influenced your life overall? If you feel like there's one way that you can kind of encompass it. I mean, that was the better part of your, you living in L.A. That, well, I mean, I grew up in L.A. So, oh, that's right. So, You're yeah, in I, I, that's yeah, right. I was there, I've been there my whole life. Yeah. Um, that was definitely my 20s was mm-hmm. spent doing this job. Um, and that was also a time where... I, it helped me to really like focus in on exactly what I needed to do because now, even then, I wasn't a huge fan of, of the industry in the sense of like you go to auditions and all I would ever hear is, oh, I just auditioned for this and I just filmed this yesterday and tomorrow I'm doing this. And I'm just like, dude, I'm here to read one line for Jack in the Box. I don't give a shit. So I actually quit acting for a couple of years because I was so done with that crap. Yeah. And I finally realized being and seeing what the industry does to people, I'm like, I love this stuff to death. But it's almost like uh, we used to say we are lifting the veil of secrecy to show you how these things work. Okay. But for us, it was even more than that. It wasn't just like, oh, I learned how they do the special effect. It was, oh, I see how this shit works. Mm. And it kind of sucks the magic out of it for me a little bit. Sure. I would think that there would be an element of that to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even still now, like, I'll be so super into a movie. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm so sucked into this. And there's Courthouse Square. Ah, that's like, so funny. Like, it takes funny. you out of it just yeah, like that. You know I still exactly. see, yeah, I still see commercials where I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even really think about the the broad like um reaching nature of of that like through all these things that yeah, were filmed so, there. Yeah, so and you know even and you know cuz you have so many uh actor friends as well, it goes from like, "Oh, there's Steve and there's Susie and they're doing the show or this yes. commercial." So it's a matter and so now yes. it's mixing these are my friends and, and those are some sets. Those are the sets that I used that to, I used to work on and, and yeah. work on all the time. So it's like it. it, it now it there's like it, now so little even magic harder to for me to still lose myself in the magic, but I still manage to do it just because I love them so much. Sure, yeah, that's 
That's really cool. That's super interesting. I would I would think that like living in LA would do that in a lot of totally ways. consistently. Yeah, consistently. Yeah, and especially with movies where they're like, you know, oh, they're driving down Santa Monica Boulevard and they make a left turn, and all of a sudden they're by the beach. Yeah. It's just like, uh, no, you are yeah. miles from there. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, every I feel like I've had those moments like very rarely with things in Chicago. But they'll shoot something that's like obviously like by the green mill or something like that, and then they'll be in the loop, and I'm like, no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. It's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's like you have to push your suspension of disbelief even harder. Sure. Because for me, yes, you know, I'm I love big dramatic pictures occasionally, but for me, movies is always like show me something that I'm not going to see in real life. So as much as I love, you know, I just saw uh, 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 Hidden Figures, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing movie, and it's based on real events, but then also things like Back to the Future, where I know I'll never be traveling through time in a DeLorean, so show me shit like that. I'd love to see that, and it's the same reason why I love animation, because with animation, I'm like, you can do anything. you, You just have to be able to draw it. Yeah, for sure. Which to me is the ultimate like suspension of disbelief yeah completely because like now you can do anything i recently my girlfriend told me since dating you i've watched more cartoons than i ever have in my life i'm like yeah that makes sense because i love them because they're amazing and i can't believe you haven't seen more yeah yeah the limits are they don't exist oh not at all yeah yeah that's awesome Man, this was so fun. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll, I could definitely talk to you about all of these things we even do, further. We can do another one if you want. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, do it. Thank you so much for doing yeah, this. Yeah, of course. I love you, Luis, and I mean uh, Right back at you. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.